We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores, the games every day. Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And yesterday, the Lakers concluded a 5-2 and two road trip the 107-99 win over the Atlanta Hawks with a, an excellent defensive performance. And it wasn't just uh, that they finished strong. It was a continuation of the previous game, right, where they played the Celtics. Frank Vogel shortened his rotation to nine guys. And he had talked about, you know, hey, we needed to win. We needed to kind of get back on track and said, you know, made comments about Wes and Keith that they're going to get their run at some point. But he kept it for another game. And Mike, the similar result kind of crapped the bed at the end of the third quarter. And it was like in both the Boston and the Atlanta game. And we were like, hey, I think uh, this might be heading toward a loss. And then right at the beginning of the fourth quarter, that new lineup. And what do we have there? We got LeBron, THT, uh, Harrell. Caruso, yep. Caruso's in that lineup. And then Kuz, I believe. Yes. Right? And that lineup's been really good. It opened up with a, another big run. I think it was 13-0 against Atlanta, 11-0 against Boston. You asked some questions to Frank about this in, in the post game. I'd love to hear that that interaction and just your thoughts on this is a, a pretty big change because that was part of the game where we were really struggling before. Yeah, for sure. And it started, you, you, Pete, you're right about the third quarter in general, but in the final minute of the third quarter, the Lakers finally got something going. Um, and, you know, Caruso was a part of it. Caruso had that driving floater. Uh, and then Trez had a put pack in LeBron split free throws. And then that set up the fourth quarter and really just a burst, an 11-0 burst. Uh, and that uh, I immediately uh, reckoned back to that Boston game because that same group uh, started the fourth quarter with an 8-0 run. 
So combine that, and that's a 19-0 run across two games. And you know, you're right, Pete. I, I just I wanted to kind of see what stood out to LeBron, what stood, stood out to Vogel about that group. And their answer, I so they both basically said energy, but I think that it's more than that. And that's kind of what I think. You know, in a post-game setting like that, Frank or LeBron, they can't spend that much time on it, right? That's kind of what what I think the uh, why I'm curious what you guys think. Because that's what you you guys do well. It's like let's really dig in to why that lineup is good, and it's not just because those guys have energy and they play hard. Um, so I I'm actually instead of opining myself here, I want to uh, maybe I could kick it over to Darius for some evaluation of that group basketball wise, and then you know, Pete, you can put a little bow on it. I mean, it's got a lot of ingredients that you really want in terms of a balanced group. I'm a big proponent of trying to put out as many balanced lineups as you can. And I think some of the lineups that the Lakers have used this season that have not been successful have not been particularly balanced. And I think Vogel going to this group with um, not only one, but two sort of secondary ball handlers to flank LeBron in THT and... Well, well, and Caruso, there's good perimeter play, I think, when you talk about Braun, Caruso, THT, and Kuz, and then Harrell having then a fair amount of space to operate inside and not necessarily have to worry about a second big body. And I think that that cuts both ways, right? You could obviously put AD with that group and you'd see probably even better results. But the idea of of spacing and ball handling offensively and just a bit more scoring pop um and then defensively good size across the board um i think that's where the energy and hustle comes into play more mike is is more on the defensive side of the ball than than what we're talking about offensively and just rangy good athletes that are all going to compete defensively Kuz already started this last season in terms of his uptick in defensive um, attentiveness and, and just going out there and playing hard, but it's been even more so this year, I think. And, and then obviously we know that that's Alex's game and THT, I think also knows that he better compete defensively or he's not going to get a lot of runs. So I think on both sides of the floor, Pete, like the key word to me is, is balance from an X's and O's standpoint though. Is there anything that stands out to you that you like what they're doing? It's actually more of an attribute thing where you say balance. I think of speed, when you take Keefe and Wes out of a lineup and replace them with Alex Crusoe and THT, you've got more ball handling, more athleticism. It's a dip in shooting for sure. But so we talked a lot about like the no roller behind coverage in the pick and roll, right? Which is typically reserved for rim protecting bigs, guys who can thrive in that 11 feet type of airspace. And that's something that Mark can actually do pretty well, um, but Trez struggles at. I'm seeing a lot more switching with that group that is thriving the beginning of the fourth quarter, beginning of the second quarter. And it makes sense because Crusoe is great at at uh, uh, switching and defending bigger guys. THT is a big dude in and of himself. Kuz has that switchiness onto guards, right? So everybody in that, and then you've got LeBron and Trez, and Trez is the is the weakest. Although no, THT is the weakest defender of the group because he doesn't exactly know what he's doing yet, but that's getting better. But Trez has a very specific, like bad interior defender for the most part. 
I think he's pretty good. And actually, bad is probably a little bit of an over, over an exaggeration, but he's much better on the perimeter. And that ability to switch, that ability to fly around, and then we're on the run, right? And that's AC and THT and, and LeBron, Trez. It's a much more similar style of play to last season's team. Speaking of running, that's four ball handlers and then yep. just a runner with Trez, right? And, and so you can outlet to any four of LeBron, THT, uh, Kuz, or Alex and really push the tempo and, and get out there in, in transitions. The other reason I think it works is, and this is Vogel kind of recognizing what the opposition typically is going to be, is that the other team's second unit is not going to have those types of guys that can really exploit the backline protection that the Lakers don't have in that group, unless, you know, really LeBron would be the guy that's doing that. And on occasion, Trez, he's had some decent uh, blocks here and there, right? When um, Billy Mack, uh, what does he, what does he say? Um, that's a no trespassing. There you go. No trespassing. Uh, no, no trespassing. And so that like, they're able to get away with being small and quick and fast, which I don't think they would be as much against most starting or finishing lineups when you would have, say, against Boston, right? If you have Tatum or Brown or both of those guys in there, then I'm not as thrilled um, without having AD or Marcus All in there to protect the backside of it. So it's a smart use of the rotation in that sense to manipulate what you're more often than not going to see from a backcourt matchup. And uh, I, I just, I think that is is interesting because the Lakers already have so much of a separator in their starting lineup for the most part. That group has been able to create leads on teams. And now if you can come in with a different version, a different group altogether and, and push leads in that second to fourth quarter, that's a tough team to beat. And we know they're, we already know this, we know they're a tough team to beat, but it's not, I don't remember last season having a sustained at any point, conversation with you guys or anybody else about, oh man, did you see that second unit grouping really going out there and, and killing teams? It was more, uh, it, it wasn't happening as often. Usually we were, it was more like the AD group that was getting behind and then LeBron had to check back in and kind of cancel things out. So uh, that's, that's a, it's an interesting development. And I think it's something we should keep an eye on here moving forward. The one bench group that was really good to me, Mike, was the LeBron, were the units that were anchored by LeBron, Dwight and Caruso. Like those trio together, whenever they whenever they were on the floor, had just a fantastic net rating. Yeah, and, defensively they were so good. Yeah, and they were able to to really um, get back maybe some of the lead stuff. And that was the start of the second quarter, start of the fourth quarter grouping there. And we did see some dip when LeBron went out of the game, and it was like AD and Rondo. Or at the close of the first and third quarters, you might see the Lakers get a little bit more stagnant or or struggle. One of the things that's interesting to me about not only that group that we just talk, talked about, but the shift in the rotation in general is that the two players who are now out of the lineup, <clears throat> Pete, you talked about like speed and athleticism, but it's also just youth, man, like Putting THT into a lineup now and then playing Caruso more and then Kuz and Trez, th those are all like, those are all the 27 and under guys, right? And then you add Dennis back into that. He's obviously a starter. Gasol's minutes are pretty much the same. And then you have Braun. And so suddenly, if Keith and Wes are sort of going to be the odd man out of 
the lineup or with the rotation, this Lakers team is suddenly so much more, is so much younger and more athletic in general. And um, do you think, like, what do you think that portends for them if this is something that Vogel continues to go to? I, I, I think younger can also mean inexperienced. It can also mean more mistakes. But do you think that that balance is right for them, considering that they're skewing a lot younger with some of these groupings now? Well, I think if they're going to go younger, and again, even Schroeder and Trez fall into this younger in that they have not played in a conference finals and beyond. And so they've got things to learn as well, even though they're closer to their fully realized version of themselves as as players. And getting reps is going to be essential. If we're going to go this route, then yeah, you got to make this move er earlier in the season so that they can learn some of those things and get more on the same page. That said, Mike, Mike brought up something about our rim protection that I thought is, is an interesting, it's an interesting way of framing this team. Rim protection can come in a couple of different ways. We always think of it as shot blocking. It's also protecting the rim. If you don't let them get there in the first place. And when we're switching the way that we are, and we've got these really rangy guys, both in terms of speed, THT's, you know, dynamic, Trez covers a ton of ground as well. When we're switching, switching in a lot of ways is a form of rim protection. Now, the problem with that is, one, can you stay in front of the mismatch, right? So if you've got a big on the floor that's slow foot and you're switching, they're going to give it to their ball handling guard. He's going to cook him. He's going to collapse the defense. And then maybe someone beats you to the spot, right? Doesn't give up the layup because the guard blew by the big, but that's a skip pass to the corner, swing pass, open wing three, right? So you're still collapsing the defense. What's great about having those young guys and those young legs is, again, that ability for our guards to stick with bigger guys. And then for our bigs to have that lateral quickness in in that lineup in particular, you got Trez and LeBron, they can hang with guys laterally. So those mistakes, there's fewer of them. If you're switching all screens, which isn't, I don't want to act like that's how we're defending every play with that that lineup, but Vogel's doing it more. And I think it's more aligned with the talents of the team. But you you want that group to build, to not just have to switch, right? You want them to be able to have some degree of versatility. And so making those mistakes and getting those reps in are gonna is going to be particularly important. And, and also, the, Pete, I think a point that supports that is if you have Caruso and Schroeder for sure, and then to an extent KCP, if you can just keep guards in front of you, in your in a whether you're switching or not, then that's also a form of rim protection uh, in just not allowing the penetration in the first place. And the Lakers are pretty good at that, and especially I'd say especially Schroeder and Caruso. Um, and and you saw that even though Trey Young was able to get into the paint because he's Trey Young and he's just going to be able to do that, Schroeder was at least there. Uh, and he ended up he ended up getting a bunch of assists, and I think that was more on the back line. AD wasn't didn't want to get in foul trouble. Trez, when he was in there, isn't great at that, and Gasol was maybe a step slow for part of that. But they still like they they kept Trey Young from getting all the way to the basket for the most part because the guards were able to contain him. I thought. Well, also too, like he's Trey Young. He's just a really good passer, and he has great feel, right? And his floater game is so good that you have to respect that floater and so when he elevates the big is going to have to rotate over and, and sort of be in a position to to challenge or make trey think about a contest 
on that shot. And then that opens up the lob and, and Trey is this interesting amalgamation of like a James Harden type of, of player and a Steph Curry type of player. He's not as good as either of those guys, but he incorporates several elements of both of those guys games into his own. And the part that he takes from Harden is that floater lob decision-making. And he's just really good at it already just as, as a young player. And so I think the Lakers did a respectable job on Young in terms of limiting him in the three-point attempt area and really getting him off of the line and then pushing him into areas of the floor where size could make a difference against him. And so, like, before we break, was there any other thoughts that you guys had about the road trip in general beyond Atlanta and Boston and, and sort of this this lineup stuff or just like five and two? Like, that was great. Our defense is coming along nicely. AD is starting to get his legs underneath him. Schroeder, I thought, got comfortable on the second half of this trip. That's probably the most important thing that happened. That's the, the short version anyway. What about you, Mike? I just think it's the... Frank Vogel coming in with a shortened rotation and reminding the guys on the roster, and not that certainly Marquise Morris or Wesley Matthews needed to see this, but just just kind of it was a little bit of a flex in that, hey, let's not just completely go through this regular season without specifically planning for teams and without trying to find our best lineups. It's like, all right, let's we're we're getting to the next stage of the season now. The first quarter is over. Let's start to ramp up a little bit. Let's start to th- take things a bit more seriously. And again, they were the best team in the league for the first couple of weeks before they lost two games in a row. And Utah and the Clippers happened to be hot. And that, for whatever reason, that might that can change enough perception that the Lakers are no longer number one in a lot of power rankings, right? Uh, which, even if I think that's silly, um, given what they proved last year and what they proved so far talent-wise with this season. But that, to me, still represents a step for them that they can now take into this next set of games. And as they continue to ramp up uh, towards the postseason, which of course is the only thing they're really playing for. For me, it's the idea of is Trez really going to be a closing player? Um, And the last couple of minutes of both the Hawks and the Celtics games were feeling out of what Trez can and cannot do. And Vogel pulled him twice in the last minute of both of those games as things sort of started to get loose and the Lakers were really struggling to organize their sets. And I'll be interested to see if Vogel actually comes to a conclusion about what types of teams Trez can or cannot close against and how it impacts the rest of the guys on the floor, particularly Braun and AD, but to a certain extent, even Schroeder, because I thought in both the Hawks and Celtics games, the Lakers struggled from a spacing standpoint to close, and they had trouble then getting into offensive sets that were viable for them. And once they removed Trez, they went to AD, AD had more space, everything seemed to flow a little bit better. And that's not an indictment against Trez. It's probably more of the idea of what really works for this team and what doesn't. And to your point, Mike, um, the first quarter of the season is over. It's a 72-game season, not an 82-game one. And I think it's time to start to act on some of the data and behind-the-scenes stuff that the coaches clearly have access to in regards to their decision-making about what 
what's go- what's going to happen for at least this next quarter of the season. I'm I'm glad you brought up the offense, Darius, because I think that that's probably a separate pod and a separate topic so we can really dive into the details, but we got work to do on the We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed offensive end I, I like how our defense is coming along and we've got a lot of offensive talent but it's still a, a bit of a, a mishmash at this point so um we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back uh we've got as we record this we've got the clippers and nets playing tonight we were recording this before the game but it will be published after so we do not know the results of that uh so it'll be fun fun to listen to it on on the way back but we're going to check in with probably the two teams that i think we uh agree are the two biggest contenders, two biggest threats to the Lakers after this break. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma money debit card, you can win daily instant karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your instant karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma money has already given away over $3 million in instant karma to 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma money. Progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com backslash win money. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated, member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring easy as one, two, three, post, screen, and interview, all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately, and Indeed skills tests that on average reduces hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests 
then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com backslash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. So I want to start with Brooklyn because they're the newest team in this whole mix. Their games are wild, Mike. They play, uh, I don't know how many of them you've caught, but it is All of them. It is a an odd, yeah, me too, right? Like it's, yeah. both of them and the Clippers <laughs> have been appointment television for me this season. That's why I'm excited to talk to, talk about it with you guys. I would love to hear your first impressions of the new look Brooklyn Nets. Well, all right, my, my first impressions were when Kevin Durant and James Harden were playing together before Kyrie got back. And that made a lot of sense. It looked really good, even though the defense still wasn't there. It just was such a, a an easy basketball watching experience because those guys just flowed in and out so easily on offense. Enter Kyrie. Uh, the offense is still great, but it exacerbates the defensive issues even more because you're taking a guy off the floor who was out there basically just to focus on defense and putting in another guy that has such great offensive talents but is not going to be focusing on defense, especially this early in the season, especially with no fans, especially during a pandemic. And my conclusion from all these games of watching Brooklyn is that, yes, they're dangerous, but they're not going to beat the Lakers or even the Clippers, maybe another couple of teams or two, until they make a personnel switch. Because it's just not there defensively. Um, and, and I don't – there are only so many guys, I think, that can clean that up that are going to get the respect to actually be able to be on the floor with KD and James Harden and Kyrie. And it's – they're so easy to attack when it's DeAndre. Uh, they're so easy to attack when, you know, really it's almost a, if it's Joe Harris or whatever. The, the guys that are out there on the floor, there's just – it's a mix of attitude and personnel. And I, I I do think that it can evolve. I do think that they can improve. I do think that they will make some type of move. I don't know, man, like a Thaddeus Young or something, something like that. It, just it, – Another guy who knows how to play, that's crafty, that's got a bigger body, that can play some defense where they can go small with. So I'm not dismissing them as a, a potential finals opponent because of the firepower, but it's not good enough yet. And it's it's very simple. It's because of the defense. So I agree, but I'm going to take a different stance with this, Mike. I think you can add a player or two, like role player types that are going to focus defensively. And I think that would help some. I do. But Kevin Durant's the only member of that big three who has any sort of history of being an elite two-way player. And just historically, he's been the only one who's actually cared about playing high-level defense um, in any of their deep playoff runs. And all of and all of those guys have been in deep playoff runs. I'm wondering if at any point during the year, Kyrie and Harden are going to sort of take a look in the mirror and say like, hey, we can sacrifice some of our offensive load in order to play hard on that side of the floor, right? And I look at a guy like, so I'm going to tangent here because this is a Lakers pod. So let's talk about the Lakers for a second. I look at LeBron last season and he, he had AD, he had his second super duper star, 
And I think it would have been very easy for LeBron to say to himself, you know what? I've got Anthony Davis now. And and I've got these role players who are spot-up shooters. And I could probably just do – we could probably just outscore teams, right? I've got AD. I've got Dwight. I've got JaVale. Let those guys worry about defense. I'm going to be LeBron James from the Cleveland years. And I'm just going to focus on offense and and uplift us on on that side of the ball. Instead, what LeBron did is he doubled down on the idea that this team is going to defend. I'm going to be a central figure in that revitalization of the Lakers defense. I'm going to be a true tag team partner for my superstar defensive partner in Anthony Davis. And I'm going to lead on that side of the floor. And I'm not sure what the Nets ceiling is in terms of like or viability as a true top level championship team until at least two of their three stars decide defense is super important to me and I'm going to lock in on that side of the ball. And and so bring in a role player or two that can play. But to me, superstar players are leaders. They are the setters of a mentality and culture. And if they're not the ones who are leading on this side of the ball, then I'm not sure where they go. We talk about sacrifice, right? Like in in the formation of this trio, guys are going to have to sacrifice touches. And by and large, they're all getting their numbers, right? But rather than sacrifice, it's a matter of where do you expend your energy and effort? A lot of times, the reason why great offensive players aren't great defensive players, aren't great two-way players, is because of the offensive burden that they hold. And that's why Mike always talks about, you know, like Dame and CJ in Portland for as wonderful as they are on offense. There's a certain ceiling that you have when your stars are not two-way players. But to a great extent, a lot of that is effort and engagement and how much am I going to care about this aspect of the game? And this is what's really difficult for players in their spot, right? To be able to, at this point of their careers, Harden's 31, Kyrie's in his late 20s. I think Durant's 31 now as well. For them to go, I am going to focus on my lock and trail defense off of the ball. I'm going to make sure that I'm icing ball screens well. This team's obviously going to be able to score and is able to score, but their ultimate potential is going to be determined by their defense. And that's why we were talking in the first segment about the Lakers getting their reps and their minutes in uh, and developing lineups. In the playoffs, you've got to have five guys on the court, Mike, that are able to defend and hold their own because that weak link always gets exploited. And you can have four good defenders on the court and one guy who's not. And being five good defenders is not just five individuals. It's the cohesion of that five-man group. And you got to have multiple five-man groups that are able to do that over the course of 48 minutes. And so it's a matter of personnel for sure. But it's also like if they're going to make that personnel move, Mike, that you're talking about, they need to do it sooner rather than later because they need to get those same reps in that we were talking about in that first segment. The same thing is going to applies to them. So they got to get on that if they're going to do it. Yeah, no question about it. So it's it's all all of this fits still within that the whole power rankings discussion and what can these teams be when they're at their best and why why the Lakers are still to us the favorites out of this group and why you know the Clippers still on paper seem to be the biggest threat 
And yet they have the whole other thing they have to deal with, which is sort of the ghost of demons past when they get to the first round, when they get to the second round. And does that pressure build up on Paul George? Does that pressure build up on Kawhi Leonard? Does that pressure build up on the role players? And I don't think the Lakers have that same uh, that same issue um, that uh, that can come up. And, and But to talk about the Clippers in this context, it is about George and Kawhi and even to an extent – uh, like a Beverly or a Morris or some or a Nabaka, some of these guys that can give you something on both sides of the floor. And what you guys just talk about with the Nets is that's definitely apropos to that, as is uh, if we think about the Bucks. And, you know, they do they have enough guys on the offensive end um, to to uh, to be able to solve problems against two way teams and two way players. And then we get down to the Utah Jazz. And again, a team that I'm just not going to buy because I don't think they have enough two-way players. I don't. I don't think their guards are big enough uh, to impact things defensively. I think Rudy Gobert is an issue when you go small against him for the Jazz. I should say, not an issue for opponents. Uh, and their wings with Bogdanovich and Ingles. Uh, that's that's just same thing. That's not going to cut it uh, when it ultimately comes down to it in playoff moments. So. It's uh, Pete. I know you don't want to get too deep into the Celtics, but it's why Tatum and Brown give them hope for the future. Right? They're not ready yet, but but those are. And we just saw that those guys went off even against the Lakers, uh, who could have done better certainly. But you know they that's that is still what this league is about, and I think that it made the Lakers roster makes a lot of sense with that with that perspective. And nothing has nothing has changed this season to to uh, make me change my opinion. And other than the, the Brooklyn trade, but we just, as we just hit on, it's got, it's either got to be some mental shift like Darius touched on, which I totally agree with, or um, it's got to be a personnel change. And it, honestly, Pete, it probably needs to be both if we're really going to take them to be a potential title title winner. Yeah. Somebody has to take charge of that and say that, Hey, this is going to be important on the flip side. I really like the Clippers this year. I think that I, our best version and their best ver- best version, I think we win fairly comfortably. But I think they're a threat. And I think that they're going to be much closer to the best version of themselves. They shoot the hell out of the ball, Darius. They um, are leading the league. Last I looked, they shot as a team like 41.4%. It's a ridiculous percentage. Ty Lue is a great five-out spacing coach. He really knows how to exploit advantage when you give him shooters and um, he's done a wonderful job there they've got a lot of guys with they've got a lot of guys with old man game that know how to play that understand that defend that are two-way players even a Nicholas Batum has has been you know wonderful for them and even he is not the athlete that he was when he was younger but he's very good at most things on the basketball court I I think they'll struggle against our speed and athleticism. And I'll get more into that when it circles back to me. But I'd love to hear uh, from what you've caught of the Clippers this year, your thoughts on them, Darius, because I I like how they play quite a bit. They're just a really good team, man. Like, I know that we've liked to dunk on the Clippers sub and and that's all great. Like, they're the other team in in L.A. and we're going to get in our shot. Sorry, there's a Lakers (laughs) podcast. Like, this is how, how it goes. But... We, when we talked about sort of our tiers and stuff before the season star started, I think I was someone who was saying that's just like, look, man, like this Clippers team is good. They've got Kawhi Leonard and they've got Paul George and Paul to, to me, Pete, like George's resurgence. And I know that he's a guy that is divisive and he's a guy that will probably never get credit for these types of performances during the regular season, because if not the flameouts, the 
high focus moments that people have seen him on the wrong side of things like that stuff burns into your memory right it's very similar experience that we've had with james harden where it's just like oh well your failures have been so spectacular that those are the things that we're going to remember with you but george is a really good player and they have we talked about balance in terms of the lakers roster um this team has balance too they still may be like a playmaker short but they're finding ways to make up for that because Kawhi and george are are such diverse scorers right like and, and so mike you've talked a lot about how the clippers are more of a jump shooting team and i think that that's totally true um but george and leonard still have the ability to get to the rim defenses respect that ability for them to get to to the rim and they flash it just enough to be able to open up other avenues for the full offense to compete at at a high level um defensively pete is where i think i have more questions about the clippers um and not necessarily obviously they have george and leonard but outside of that do they have enough defensively i'm not particularly high on morris as a defensive player um i'm not high on luke Kennard. i think that patrick beverly for all the growling um and and for all the pressure defense that he has he is still susceptible to size he is still susceptible to quickness in ways that he wasn't three or four years ago when he was at his athletic peak um and then look ibaka is still a bit undersized i think to go up against a player like Anthony Davis. And, 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 and so their defensive ceiling to me is a little bit lower than what it was or than what you would expect for a team that's led by, by George and Kawhi. Mike, are you like, these dudes are too high on the Clippers or are you sort of just like, like this team's for real? I watched, so the only, the only team that I watched as much as Brooklyn is the Clippers. I watched them, I, I think I've seen all but maybe two of their games uh, so far, and I have lots of thoughts. I'm going to try to condense them for you. First of all, I think they're the second best team in the league, so they deserve mm-hmm. praise. I mean, they're really good. What I where I think, that, and I'm going to talk about this in the context of the Lakers, of course. And so this is it's it's not. I don't want this to sound like a critique because again, um, I I think that on paper they can beat anybody else uh, in a seven game series. Where where I see them having issues eventually, uh, and again, this would be in a Lakers-Clippers potential series, they're going through this regular season playing small with while still being big. Uh, and that's super hard for almost every team to match up with on a night-to-night basis. So Ibaka's starting at the five. They've got five three-point shooters. Uh, they've got and they're, they've got the really physical, of course, on the wing with Kawhi uh, and with Paul George, with Beverly to an extent. Batum has been pretty good there as well. Um, and they're... The system works super well, kind of like Houston's did for many years, uh, and especially like last year, regular season Houston, when teams would catch them and it's just it's just tough to beat them. P.J. Tucker is at the five. You got Covington on the wing. You got Harden. You got Westbrook flying around. And the, this is a more talented version of that uh, overall as a team. And so I think they're they're for the most part, they're beating teams by you know 10 to 15 points. They're up by 10 to 15. A couple of times they've blown leads. Uh, like they did to the Warriors. But for the most part, the teams are just not able to match up with them. But when you get down to it against the Lakers, this is where the Lakers trump card comes in because, okay, you want to start small like that with Serge Ibaka. 
Here's Anthony Davis at the five. LeBron and AD can get to the rim on that team whenever they want. You, you saw in the first matchup, they, they, they were targeting Ibaka, actually, and driving right by him. Uh, if, now, that's one way to do it. If they then bring Zubats in, you can bring Marcus All in, and you can do it that way. And you can then space with Gasol, and you can open up the path to the rim that way by pulling Zubats out, who's not going to be able to stay with AD or LeBron. So that's where defensively I think their hole is. The Lakers don't really have a hole defensively. That's that's the beauty, um, I think, of this matchup where now you could say they have a hole if they start Marcus Gasol uh, against Ibaka from a spacing perspective. But guess what? They don't have to. They just go to AD there. And that, to me, ends up being the pivot point of the matchup. And Pete, Darius referenced the how I make I keep making the point about kind of the Clippers are a jump shooting team for the most part. So they are 27th in the NBA in points in the paint with 41 per game. The Lakers are sixth with 49 per game. That's a that's a big difference in scoring at the rim. Now, are the Clippers hitting more threes in, in, a, in a ridiculous rate? Yes. But if you play the lineup, Pete, of A.D. LeBron and then Caruso, Schroeder, Kuzma, or whatever you want to do, sub in THT, like that that lineup, they're not getting a ton of open threes. Those no. threes are going away in, in a postseason series, aren't they? We've got so much defensive speed that I, I'm, man, you, we're very simpatico on our, our thoughts on this team. Our closeouts are as good of as any team as I've ever seen. That our 2020 team, our title team last year, was great on those. And then we added Dennis Schroeder to the mix, who that guy covers so much distance so quickly. And uh, yeah, yeah just close. just in, yeah. incredible. Our defensive speed on the perimeter, it, you have to put pressure on the rim. Like you, you said, we don't have any weaknesses. And I would generally agree because even our rim protection is, I think, better than people realize our shot blocking and all of that. But we were talking previously uh, about those big wings that can go over the top of Mark. That isn't the type of player really that Kawhi and PG are at this point. They don't have that athletic pop. PG had that certainly when he was younger, but they are more of a a pull-up jumper team. They're not going, they're not a team that's going to like posterize you for the most part. And so if we're flying around the perimeter, chasing guys off the three-point line, I love that you brought up Houston, Mike, because this is a thought that I had as well, is that they reminded me of Houston. It's not a one-to-one comp because you've got you've set, certainly got a re- legit big in Zoo, and Ibaka's bigger than anybody Houston had in their microball lineup last year. Um, and they're led by a bigger wing. But that five-out spacing that really able to pick you apart and very difficult to match up on a night-to-night basis in the regular season, which I think is the the best point there is that unconventional teams, teams that play differently than the rest of the league, you just don't have enough time and enough practice and enough all that to beat that team that night before moving on to the next team. And so unconventional teams get a certain boost in the regular season that often goes away in the postseason. I don't think that the Clippers are unconventional to the degree that Houston was or to a degree where they can't succeed in the playoffs. But I, the one thing about PG Darius that, there are certain players, we were talking about this a little bit last night, kind of a, a, a cousin of this uh, in our, our group text, but there's certain players that the things that they do in the regular season does not translate to the playoffs in part because it's sped up, it's more fo- a focused style of play, and until PG can thrive in that postseason type environment of, of environment where he's not, and I know, look, I know back with Vogel in Indiana, he was the leader of that team that 
gave Miami and, and LeBron, they, they give him good series, right? So I don't want to act like PG's never had any playoff success. But when things get sped up, and Lord knows this Lakers team is going to speed you up with our defensive speed on the perimeter, when things get sped up, do you have faith that he's able to maintain that caliber of play into the postseason? I mean, yes and no. I really respect George as a player and as a talent. And I just think that the that the versatility that he offers as a shooter, I think, is so important and is foundational to how he can do so many other things on on the court. And that versatility is is super useful. And and, and so I think from a skill standpoint, yes, mentally you never know how a guy is going to respond until he's in the fire. Right. And there was a point in Paul George's career where I think that I thought he was going to respond just fine. And then over the last several years, enough has happened where there's enough doubt that creeps in where it's just like, Oh yeah, maybe it's not the fortress. It was up there anymore right and like you see this with like a player like I think a player like Giannis at like the free throw line for example right or when you see a player even like like Westbrook at the free throw line Westbrook was a guy who shot in the like high 70s low 80s for a good portion of his career and now he's like last season in the 60s and this year he's in the low 60s and and that's trended downward and every player can get in their own head at some point in time and the ability to sort of like shut that out gets harder and harder I feel like when the stakes get higher and higher and it's not to say that George won't respond well I just don't have the certainty I probably would have had three or four years ago when it comes comes to him. And to a certain extent, he's now in the show me camp, even though long ago he wouldn't have been in that camp for me because he had shown me before. But now I've seen enough regression in 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 some crucial moments where I'm not all the way there anymore. It's, it's the demons part of it that I referenced earlier. And I think you can you can point to the last iteration of the Clippers teams that were really good with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and DeAndre. And they would get to a certain part of the playoffs and, you know, something would happen. Something would happen. And once the once it happens the first time, it can happen the second time. And then it builds upon itself. And so that, that's what they, you know, they're not going to be able to show that until the postseason, until they're up on a team, whether whoever they're matched up with in the first round, Let's say it, it's uh, it could be Denver, it could be Dallas, it could be Phoenix, it could be, I mean, man, Memphis. Like, is Memphis ever going to lose? That's <laughs> like it's been I mean, like a month, cool, right? right? Won, they had some help. They won like yeah. seven games in a row. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, but whoever, like whoever it is, and, and that's interesting. But I just, I ultimately get back to the that, so that's one part of it. To totally acknowledge Darius and totally with you. And then Pete, you the basketball point that we were talking about a minute ago, which just for the Lakers, I think is is just a it's unique to the Lakers in that the Clippers can play multiple styles and beat you in multiple ways. They can play big if they want with Zoo and some other guys. But the Lakers the Lakers have experience playing small in the postseason, which is what you need to confront that Clippers starting lineup. So that's there. And we saw that even in the first game of the regular season, 
ring night played a role, right? That's when the Clippers got up 20 in the first quarter. But part of it was just because they were playing this unconventional five guys out. And in the five practices the Lakers had, they played with Marc Gasol trying to, inter- to, trying to integrate him. And Ibaka just kept pulling him out and they just made jump shots. And then the Lakers adjusted. They made their run. They get back in the game. They go to their small lineup. Like in a playoff series, that's happening right from the jump, you know? And in fact, it'll probably happen the next time they play uh, in a matchup. So that's, I think, the encouraging part of this for the Lakers is that as good as the Clippers look, the the Lakers are sort of uniquely positioned to be able to counter whatever the Clippers want to do. And and that, to me, is my early season uh, takeaway. We'll see how this evolves as uh, things continue here. Yeah, as I, as I continue to keep an eye on the Clippers, the big thing I'm going to be looking on is their ability to put pressure on the rim. I, I think Kawhi's ability to go over the top of guys, even in a matchup against us, if we're doing that Schroeder, KCP, Caruso, LeBron, AD closing lineup, there are a couple of places where they'll have size advantages where the Clippers would. And I think that we talk about our development, the Lakers development and things that they're adding to the team as the season goes on. I think that the Clippers would be, they'd be mistaken to just kind of stay in this style and not try to try to develop a, a multitude of other styles, including that, that physicality. Cause I think that playing into that idea of resilience, and this is Paul George, the demons, right, the, that you're talking about, Mike, is jump shooting teams can go cold. Jump, jump shooting teams, if that's all you're relying on, is, uh, and this this was, uh, you know, very much the argument against them for a long time, but if you're just taking jumpers, you're very susceptible to the type of 12-0 runs that we're great at, you know? So this is, you're, you're totally right, that where Paul George or Kawhi say, this is gets back to our whole, Pete, we've had how many discussions about the big wing thing um, in terms of do the Lakers have enough, right, defensively, and is LeBron, like with Danny Green moving out. And my counter to that is, let's say that you have Alex Caruso in, in crunch time against Paul George. He can take that jump shot over the top like Tobias Harris did, but he's not making enough of those over the course of a series uh, to hurt sure. him. Like, those are still jump shots. Whereas mm-hmm. whoever you put on LeBron, and I don't care if it's Kawhi or Paul George, LeBron, when he wants to, he's still going to get to the rim against those guys. Yep. And, and he's still going to finish. And the help, if it's Ibaka even, it's not enough. It's just not enough. And then guess who the Lakers' help is? Anthony Davis. So if Paul George decides, you know what, man? I'm putting my head down. Or Kawhi, I'm getting to the rim against these guys. I'm going to finish. That's where AD and LeBron at the rim are greater than whoever the Clippers put across. And, and this, again, this gets to the point of why the Lakers are the best team. That's It's LeBron and AD when it ultimately matters. Yes, they can hit jump shots, uh, but they are going to create pressure at the rim on one end, and they are going to take away the rim on the other end. And that uh, the, until that thesis gets proven otherwise, that's what I'm sticking to. I mean, this is why, though... This is why I love the NBA. It's why I love basketball. It's why styles make fights, right? This this idea of the best version of what we do is that good enough to beat the best version of what you do. And I'll be very interested to see the Clippers at their peak and whether or not they can carry that peak through an extended long playoff run. I don't want to go all Charles Barkley here because Charles decided he was going to rail on jump shoe shooters when it was Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. And I think that's probably the biggest mistake that you could make is like, yeah, let's let's question the shooting ability of Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. Yeah, like probably not the best choice. Right. But for almost every other team, you do need that diversity 
of inside outside game and how touching the paint can then make it easier for those jump shots to fall. And my question for Kawhi and Paul George is, all right, Paul George, when you're coming off of that pin down, are you going to, how many more times a game are you going to curl that? How many more times a game are you going to decide I'm coming off this pick and roll, not looking to snake the dribble to get into my pull up, but I'm dipping my shoulder like a pass rusher and trying to get to the front front of the rim. If you're Kawhi, how many times are you going to go into your triple threat jab step package and say, instead of shooting the the 12 or 15 foot jumper, which is like a 45 or 48% shot for him. How many times are you going to turn that down and rip through instead in order to try to get to the front front of the rim? Because in the big picture, those guys are talented enough to do those things where they threaten the front of the rim. But part of that is mentality and part of that is habits, right? And if you don't build the habits over the course of the season where you're like, okay, two or three or four or five more times a game, I'm curling that pin down or I'm ripping through to get to the front front of the rim. Are you really going to call on that? And do you have the recall, the muscle memory to say, now is the time for me to go to that time after time after time. And the Lakers in last year's playoff run, they had those habits. And LeBron said, F it, I'm going to the front of the rim every single time. Stop me if you can. You can't. And AD sort of said, you know what? I'm getting in the paint more and more and more. And then when the jumper was falling, it was just like, oh, well, there's absolutely no answer for this guy. And let's see the Clippers. I think the Clippers can do those harder things. But calling on it in the biggest moments that's something that they have to prove and something and not something I'm just going to give them the benefit of the doubt on for sure and you know there's that old saying that you can't win the NBA title in the first half of the year but you can lose it and I thought the Clippers did lose it last year right any I thought they lost any chance they had to do that but so far they're on track to become the best version of themselves or close to it much closer than last season if that's good enough to beat the lakers best version we will see i don't think so but should be a fun game to watch tonight you'll be listening to this after it's been uh it's it's concluded Uh, i think the clippers probably handle this game Uh, i don't think it'll be easy uh because i think that you'll get a better effort uh defensively out of the nets and i could see sort of kd and harden uh doing their thing down the stretch but it's just this goes back to, again. This is so stupid because people are listening to this after it's already happened. Uh, but I, I tend to think that I tend to think that the Clippers are are clearly playing better right now. And if if it's so, it's hard. Brooklyn's going to have to prove that they can step up defensively before we're going to pick them to right. So in that case, you, you got to go with the Clippers to win the game. I envision this game being close, and I think look out for Kyrie Irving down down the stretch. That's all I'm going to say. All right, should be a fun game. Clippers versus, versus Nets. Lakers go 5-2 on two on the road trip. Uh, got first game at home against Denver on Thursday. But until then, you can listen to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Back next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 
16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yeah. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.